Hallelujah. Well, we started last week a new series on the life of David. Uh, but to start a series on the life of David, we have to lay a foundation. So last week we started on Hannah, and we started to just look at Hannah's life. So last week uh, we saw the birth of Samuel, the prophet, and we saw the per, uh, wonderful, faithful perseverance of his mother Hannah. We saw that Hannah fulfilled her vow to God and how important it is to fulfill our word, not just to God, but to each other. And we saw that she fulfilled her word to God. She was sacrificial as well. She sacrificed her son and God honoured her. Amen. God blessed her because of her sacrifice. And we saw that that meant she would only see Samuel once a year at the temple. Samuel stayed in the house of the Lord at Shiloh, a minister before the Lord under Eli the priest. And Elkanah and Hannah, Samuel's parents, lived in Ramah. So that's where we saw last week. And you see this faithful, faithful woman she was misrepresented, she was misunderstood, she was persecuted by Panina, she a constant uphill battle, but she remained faithful despite everything around her, she remained faithful. Remain faithful, don't look at the circumstances around you, don't let that determine your faithfulness to God or what you're called to do. Remain faithful, irrespective. So this week, we move on to Eli, the great prophet and the terrible father, all in one man. He was one of Israel's greatest prophets, but he was a terrible father. Amen? So let's, uh, let's open up the word this morning. One, uh, First Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And verse 12, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. So Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any people made offerings of sacrifice, the priest servants would come with a three-pronged fork in their hand while the meat was being boiled. And they would plunge the fork into the pan, kettle, cauldron, or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burnt, this bit's important, even before the fat was burnt, the priest's servants would come and say to the person sacrificing, the priest would take some of the meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person says to him, let the fat be burnt first, then take whatever you want. So the servants would answer no. Hand it over now. If you don't take, if you don't, we will take it by force. The sin of these young men was so very great in the sight of the Lord, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So what they would do, they, people would bring the offerings to the Lord, the meat was put in a pot, 
the priest would get a fork with three prongs on it, stab it in and pull out what they wanted. Now there was an order that God had already set in place and Eli's sons were completely ignoring the order of how they were supposed to do things. Eli, it said Eli's sons were scoundrels, which means they were fraudsters, they were cheats, they were swindlers, they were tricksters. They were priests at Shiloh, but they treated the Lord's offering brought in by the people with contempt. So they were priests, they were qualified priests, but they were not fulfilling the will of God. And you can get lots of people you'll meet in life, they might be leaders, they might be elders, they might be all sorts of things, but are they genuine? And these guys had qualified as priests, they'd grown up under Eli, but they were abusing all the offerings that were brought to the temple. And they were taking all the stuff for themselves. And there were four major things that they were doing wrong. One, God's portion was always given first. So it was wrong to take the priest portion before they had burnt the fat for the Lord. Eli's sons were prioritizing themselves above God. So what, what should have gone to God first, they were helping themselves to what they wanted first. Okay? And the principle is still the same for us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto you. And in some areas of our lives we might be great at that, in other areas of our lives we might not be so great. But the principle is the same. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's God first. And whenever it's God's second, we're making an ideal, idol of whatever we're placing first. So the sons of Eli, these priests, were really doing poorly. Number two, the fat was thought to be the most luxurious part of the animal. Not for me, actually, just give me the meat. You can keep the fat. But in these days, the fat was the most luxurious part of the animal, the most sought-after part. So they, that would be given to God. The idea was that God should always get the best and it should always be first and he should be presented his portion first. But the pride of Eli's sons, they took their portion before they burnt the fat. The fat was the sacrifice that was burnt, the aroma to please God. But they were so impatient, they wanted their bit, they didn't allow for the burnt offering, for the fat to be burnt. They were just taking it with the fat on. And you can see this is a hideous crime, this is awful what they were doing. Number three, Eli's sons wanted war meat. They were saying to the people, don't cook the meat, but bring it raw. And this was selfishness because what they would do, they would take the raw meat and they would sell it. It was worth, worth more money than cooked meat. So they were swindling at the temple. This was what was going on. And although Eli was a godly man, his sons were very ungodly. And number four... The greed of Eli's sons was so bad that they didn't hesitate even the threat of violence 
that they would take what they want irrespective of the consequences and irrespective that it belonged to the Lord and that they were willing to show violence to the people coming to the temple. And the problem was that put people off of coming to the temple. So you see, Eli was this great prophet, but his sons were awful. They were swindling, they were cheating, they were lying, they were threatening people, they were taking God's offering for themselves, they were not putting God first. And see, there's a major problem when we don't put God first, okay? And this is what was happening with Eli's sons. But Eli was a prophet. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 22, and it says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent to the meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading amongst the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in structure and in favour with the Lord and with men. So Samuel, uh, Eli has heard about what his sons are doing, and he has rebuked them for what they're doing. That is to oppose them and tell them off. But there's a major problem. He didn't discipline them. Parents, be careful. Rebuking our children is not always enough. Sometimes you have to discipline. And yea, though Eli rebuked, he didn't discipline his children. And his children were rebellious, discourteous, they rebelled against the Lord. They were dressed as priests, but they were just conning everybody. And what's more, the tent of the meeting housed the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God came on earth. And whilst they were at the doors, they were sleeping with women who were servants at the temple. So that you can see all what they're doing... They had no regard for God or the things of God, yet they're performing the rituals of a priest. Now there's that scripture that says, you know, there's men who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. You can meet lots of people who can talk church, uh, can walk, uh, talk church, look like church, all these different things look like they're Christians, but by their fruit you will know them. And though these men were priests, the fruit of their lives was a completely different story. Sheep are men of sound like sheep. That's their sheep. Go to wows. That's sheep. If a sheep does this, woof, woof, it ain't a sheep. It's a dog or a wolf. Oh, 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 that's a wolf. You know? 
Sheep sound like sheep. Sheep smell like sheep. Shepherds were so good with their sheep in the days of Jesus because, do you know what? Them shepherds slept with the sheep. They looked after the sheep. They stayed in the field with the sheep. They took on the nature. They understood the sheep. They cared for their sheep. If there was one sheep missing, they would give up everything to go and find the one sheep. Amen? Sheep are sheep. Christians are Christians, but we live in a society today where people claim to be Christian, but when you actually judge the whole of their nature, their nature is that of a wolf. Their nature is not one of a Christian. They're unforgiving. They're unserving. They're self-centered. They have an agenda. That's not the sheep. We are vulnerable sheep, and the Lord is our master. So there were so many problems going on, and Eli, who is now old, has heard about these things. But it also said at the end of that, verse 26, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and men. And if you remember when Jesus was at the temple at the age of 12, where his mum and dad had travelled for a day, it says that he was obedient to his mother and father and grew in favour with God and man. So if you want to get favour with God, start to move in obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice, you know? I would much rather obedient. I would much rather my children tidy their mess up in the kitchen than what it is they buy me a burger. The burger's lovely, but I'd much rather you tidy your crap up. That would be nice. Be obedient. I don't need... And God's the same with us. He's saying, look, the sacrifices are wonderful. But be obedient first. Land that bit first. That would be fantastic. You know, the trouble is, you can have somebody who's fantastic at football, like Saka, who just happens to play for Arsenal. Saka, and that's God's team for all the unheathens and rebellious, ungodly people supporting other teams like Man United and Arsenal, but they're Tottenham. And, but, no, but Saka, Saka's got all that talent. But if Saka does not submit to the authority of the manager, the talent does not work properly on the pitch because it doesn't benefit the team. He's got to learn to share that talent with other people. When you get young boys like me, like Caleb, you play football, uh, it's Hugo, we get the ball. What do we want to do? We want to score. That's what we want to do. Yeah, but what happens when you're in goal? You can't leave your post as a goalie because you suddenly fancy scoring up the other end. The goalie can't sit and say, well, I don't get much attention. TV camera's not on me. I'm a bit bored down here, biting my nails, watching the match. I might as well be in the... I think I'll have a go at striking instead. And off he goes and he disappears. Hold the fault. Be obedient unto God. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 7 verse 21 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Sobering. 
So the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord is therefore not enough necessarily as entrance into heaven. The actual point of entrance into heaven says, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Are we doing the will of God? You might know God, you might know Jesus, but that's not enough. Are you doing the will of God? Are you surrendering? Are you following Jesus? Are you a disciple? That's the key. That's the door opener. Amen? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles and then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, Jesus was, was bringing a, a separation and Jesus' ministry always challenges and separates us. It challenges us over our sin. It challenges us over our mindset. It challenges over our behaviour. And that's what Jesus, he said, I've come to bring challenge. See, we often think little Jesus, meek and mild, in a cradle and wonderful, and that is our Jesus, but he's also the judge. He's also righteous. He also loves us. So back to the story. A man of God who's not named comes to Eli and prophesies against his house, and it says this, Why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honour Listen to this. Why do you honour your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves with the choice parts of every offering made by my people. So Sam, uh, Eli's fault here is he was honouring his sons above the Lord. And sometimes in our households, we can let, be letting things take place that we know in our heart is not right by God, but rather than upset the kids, anything for a peaceful life, rather than upset the wife, keep her happy, can't be bothered to have an argument, we keep our mouths shut as Christian men and we let mayhem rule in the house. And we're honouring man before God. And I would rather fall out with you and be right with God than be right with God, uh, right with you and fall out with God. You know? Now, if we're wise and we're sensible, things will be done in a godly manner. But it's God first. It's God first. I love my children to bits. But it's God first. I love my wife to bits. But it's God first. She can't become before God. You know? I mean, the dog comes in close, but not even the dog gets there, all right? And sometimes we have to check ourselves and say, are you my number one? And we love our wives and we love our children and we love our families and we honour them. And if we really love them, then God will be number one in our lives. The best thing, best inheritance I can give my children is for them to look at a man that made God number one in his life not necessarily to look at a man that gave them what they wanted. Because I love God, they ain't going to get everything they want. Because I love God. 
there will be conflict because I love God. But it's God first. See, God equips us. See, don't be like Eli and try and reach some sort of compromise. We can never compromise the things of the Lord. We have to pray for wisdom and strategy and the Lord will lead and guide us. The man of God said to Eli that his descendants would die in the prime of their life because Eli had honoured his sons more than the Lord. See, by Eli honouring his sons more than the Lord, his sons are going to pay the price. His sons are going to be in a worse situation. Your sons and your daughters are going to be in a worse situation if you put them before God. You are doing them no favours. And this unnamed prophet has come along and he said to Eli, because you've honoured your sons more than the Lord, the, the death of your two sons on the same day will be a sign uh, to Eli. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. Amen? If we don't honour God, God will get somebody else to do the job. We are not indispensable in that sense. Honour God, his picture, he's anointed you, but if we won't honour the Lord, the Lord, the will of God will be done, but it will come apart come through somebody else. Reinhard Bonnke said this many times, Reinhard Bonnke, one of the greatest evangelists of the 20th century, especially to Africa, Reinhard Bonnke said he was God's third choice. There were two other men that God had anointed for that mission who both didn't take it on or failed or whatever it was. And Reinhard Bonnke said, I'm God's third choice. Do you know what? Be God's first choice. Whatever it is, insignificant, significant, it doesn't matter. Be God's first choice. So God wants faithfulness. Again, faithfulness is so important. The church doesn't need talented people. We need faithful ones. Amen? We need faithful people. Chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. I find it interesting how Eli was raising Samuel in the ministry but failed so badly to be a father to his own sons. Isn't it amazing? God had placed Samuel under Eli but yet Eli couldn't father his own sons. Yet God placed Samuel under Eli. I find that incredible. Absolutely amazing. And it says that, that uh, uh, there, well, there's a parallel in that, if you look at it this way. While Samuel served under Eli, the priest who was failing, David would serve under King Saul, who was also failing. Isn't it amazing? Two great, a great prophet and a great king, but both of their mentors were failing terribly in their personal lives. But God had them there for a reason. There was a purpose in it. 
The word of the Lord, it said the word of the Lord was, Lord was rare in those days. That was because of the corruption that was taking place in the priesthood. Because people were corrupt. They were not listening to the word of the Lord. So there wasn't people seeking him and there weren't faithful ministers. So the word of the Lord had become rare. First Samuel chapter 3 verse 4. The Lord called to Samuel and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli. So the Lord called to Samuel and Samuel answered, Here I am. But he runs to Eli because uh, Samuel doesn't recognize the voice of the Lord. And he thinks Eli is calling him. Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So Samuel went and lied down again. And again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said. I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now again, isn't it interesting? He calls him my son. He fell terribly with his own sons as priests, yet he sees Samuel as a son. And there are many fathers who father much better the older they get. As young parents, we can make some mistakes. These babies don't come with an instruction manual necessarily. And we grow and we learn. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel, now Samuel did not, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Isn't that interesting? Now Samuel was weaned at the age of three years old. Scholars believe at this point Samuel's now twelve years old. So that's nine years Samuel has been living in the temple and has been fathered by Eli, the great prophet, because he was a great prophet. So in nine years, he's been living in the temple. And it says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And you can have a lot of people know the word of God, but it's not been revealed. That's religion. There's a lot of religious people out there who can recite the word of God, but it's not come alive to them yet. It's religion. Amen? Even Jesus, dealing with Satan, what did Satan do? Satan quoted scripture at Jesus. Three times he takes scripture and he quotes it at Jesus. And that's, Lucy, that's Satan himself. So just because people can recite a scripture doesn't mean to say they have revelation of the scripture. And what we need is revelation of the word of God, that it comes to life. When I got saved, I was 19 years old and I couldn't read or write. I was expelled from school, so my education was limited. But I had looks. That's by the by. But uh, when I met Mara, I couldn't read or write. And we used, I'd got saved, 
and we used to talk about God, and I'd get excited, and I'd talk about God, and she'd say to me, oh, that's in the Bible. Oh, that's in the Bible. But because I couldn't read, it was difficult. And I remember, this is terrible, and I've still got the Bible at home. One night, I was getting so frustrated, because I'd go to church, and the preacher would preach, and he'd preach all this stuff, and i think, blip, that's amazing! I didn't see any of that. This is incredible. How do they do this? And that night, it was a Sunday night, I went home and I was praying, I was getting myself really worked up in a state. And in the end, and I'm not saying do this, this was me in my stupidity, I got my Bible and I threw it against the wall and I said to the Lord, if you're not going to reveal it to me, I ain't going to bother reading it. And I threw the Bible at the wall. And the couple of pages from Acts and I think theologians stayed in my hand. And then I learned about the scripture where it said, if anybody should add or take away from this word. I was like, oh, crap, what about that? But you know what? From that day, because of my passion, guess what? Amazingly, I learned to read, and amazingly, God began to reveal the word to me because I was passionate and I was real and I wanted to know it. And sometimes we've got to get to that place of being passionate. I want to know, I want revelation. I don't want second-hand leftovers. I want alive meat for me. Do you know? Sorry if I'm a pastor who gets a bit excited about the Word of God. It was in the job description. Yeah, I can't help it. So Samuel's lived there all this time, but yet it was not revealed, so we need revelation. Verse 8. At the third time, the Lord called Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli said, uh, told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And the Lord said to Samuel, the Lord's called him again, he's, he's responded, and the Lord said to Samuel, see I am a, what I am about to do, something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. He knew about it, but he wouldn't do anything. He knew about it. He rebuked, but he didn't discipline. He didn't help them find a way out. He should have took those wretched sons of his and said, right, you're both, stop, stop what you're doing. You're not serving at the temple anymore. You're taking time out. And you need to sit and listen to the word of God. And you need to get right with God. And you need to get the right place with God. And that would have been the discipline. But he didn't do it. He rebuked them and he let them carry on. My mother, my mother was a complete different opposite. She would smack you and say, that's the thing you do later. I haven't even done it yet. <laughs> I haven't even done it yet. And my mother, she would give you a good idea, and she would tell you she was going to give you a good idea as well. She'd say to me, I'm going to give you a good idea. 
I think that's something to look forward to. You know? That's what mums used to do. I'm going to give you a good idea. And then she'd make it worse by saying, and you've never had a good idea before. I'm thinking, what was last week? I've still got imprints. My face is still marked on the wall. What are you talking about? I've never had a good idea. That was pretty good by anyone's standards, mum. But that was just the generation we grew up in. And Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks were alive. I think my mum was a combination of both. would dive on you. So, uh, for I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. That's the bottom line. His sons blasphemed God and Eli failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel laid down until morning, then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Can you imagine... This young boy is 12 years old. His first visitation from God, that he hears the voice of the Lord, is, is the discipline on his spiritual father. And at 12 years old, he's got the responsibility of going in and telling Eli, Eli, you've messed up massively and all your family's going to be wiped out because of you. And he's 12 years old. And it's the first time he's heard the voice of God. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the, you know, the conviction and the belief you've got to have to think, oh, right, then, yeah, all right. Most of us would be hiding. We'd be petrified. We'd say, we're straight away, that's not God. That's not God. Have you ever noticed when it's hard or it's against us or it's uh, pulling us up, that's not the voice of the Lord? That's the enemy. That's the enemy condemning me because I had that extra cake. The Lord don't mind, you know. No, maybe that's God trying to get you to look after yourself. And Satan's sitting there saying, don't blame me, I've got my own cakes, you know. Yeah. So it's no surprise then that this young, young Samuel would be hesitant at the age of 12, verse 16. But Eli called to him and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel answered, here I am. If I were Samuel at that point, I'd say, I'm out. Gone shopping. You know, Samuel's a bit naive. He turns around and says, here I am. No, here you're not. You're out. Here I am. What is it, he said, uh, what is it he said to you, Eli asked. Can you imagine, Samuel at this point is now draining of colour, you know, do I tell the truth or, or do I not? Do not hide it from me. Oh, it's getting from bad to worse. He hasn't got a hope. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything that he told you. Support 12-year-old prophet Samuel has got a gun to his head. There's no way out for him. If I lie and I say something different, God's going to get me. 
So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is right in his eyes. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And you know, with Samuel, fear, fear of God has got to be bigger than fear of man. Fear of God has got to be bigger than fear of man. When fear of man becomes bigger than fear of God, you've got a problem. It will breed a snare. You won't say what you should. You won't do what you should. Okay? Samuel, First uh, Samuel 3, verse 19. The Lord was with Samuel and he grew up. And he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognised that Samuel was assisted as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Huh? Huh? Through his word. Samuel didn't say, well, do you know what? I can't be bothered to read this regularly. I'll just go on YouTube. I can't be bothered to read that. There's a new conference this week. The Lord will speak to me through the conference. I can't be bothered to read the word of God. I'll tune in to Premier Christian Radio and I'll get a word from the Lord. No, through the word. Through the word. It was revealed to him. And if you want to hear God for your situation, start reading your word. Stop running around from prophet to prophet and conference to conference looking for fortune tellers about your future and about your finances and about your health and about your family. Start going to God through the word. Amen? Ask God to reveal it to you. Now when it said he was assisted, it was declared to be true to all of Israel that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. And none of his words fell to the Lord, uh, uh, fell to the ground. That means all of the prophecies were correct. Every single one were correct. And nowadays, people prophesy left, right and centre. But how many of them prophecies are real? How many of them are actually real? Now, some prophecies potentially maybe don't come about because of the people involved won't be obedient to God. So that prophetic word falls to the ground. Other prophecies don't come about because guess what? It weren't a prophecy. Thus says the Lord. No, thus did not say the Lord. Thus said me. That was my opinion. It wasn't thus said the Lord. It was thus said Matthew. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's very easy to be God's mouthpiece. But listen. We really need to wise up and take on how serious it is. In the days of Jesus, if you prophesied and your prophecy didn't come to pass, you were a false prophet. They stoned you at the wall, and that did not mean give you a joint. Right? That was bricks and mortar lobbed at you, not three cigarettes with happy backy. Okay? Yeah. So we've got to be serious about the word of God. During this time, the Israelites found themselves at battle with the Philistines. You can read that in uh, Samuel chapter 4. The Philistines defeated Israel and killed about 4,000 of their soldiers. 
So the rest of the soldiers asked to take the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, from Shalo back onto the battlefield. Eli and his sons were with the Ark of the Covenant of God on the battlefield fighting the Philistines. And about 30,000 foot soldiers, including Eli's sons and the Ark of the Covenant, were captured by the Philistines. So whilst this is going on, war was broken out. I'm, I'm uh, overviewing for you. War has broken out. And what they've done, they've took the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield so that they would win. And while this war is taking place, they've got the Ark of the Covenant on the battlefield. But instead, they're being defeated. Now, if you recall, Joshua took the Ark of the Covenant around the walls of Jericho and they won and the walls of Jericho fell down because Joshua did it in faith. Eli's sons were doing it out of superstition. They weren't honouring God. They never really believed. They were being superstitious. It's a bit like people, something goes wrong, say, oh, say a prayer for me. Where's the cross? Where's the cross? It's superstition. It's not faith. And you can sit there and say, oh, they're a believer. No, they're not a believer. It's superstition. And that's the equivalent to what these guys, the sons, had done. Eli was told about the loss of the battle and the death of his sons. His two sons died on the battlefield. The man who brought the news continued to tell Eli that the Ark of the Covenant had also been captured. So Eli's sons have took the Ark of the Covenant, apart from all what they've done, now they've taken the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield as a good luck charm, and what's happened? They've lost it. The Philistines have now got the Ark of the Covenant, which is the most precious thing that all of the Israeli nation had. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 18. When we mention the Ark of the Covenant of God, Eli fell backwards off of his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. For he was an old man, apparently 98 years old. For he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. So on the same day that his two sons die on the battlefield, they lose the Ark of the Covenant Eli, their father, is told, he kills over and breaks his neck, falls backwards off of his chair. It gets worse. Oh yeah, it's all downhill, trust me. When Eli's daughter-in-law heard about the death of her husband and father-in-law, she went into labour and died giving birth to the son. And whilst dying... She says, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So in this instance, in this episode, or on this day, his two sons have died, he's died, his daughter-in-law has died. The whole lot have been wiped out. And do you know what? Eli could have prevented it if he had disciplined those wretched sons of his. It could have been different. 
but he didn't do it. He just turned around and said, oh, Johnny, you're naughty. Stop it. Stop doing that. Stop sleeping with them women. Stop nicking that food. Put it down. Now, be be good. And that was it. And he didn't discipline them. And for it, this whole thing has erupted. The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant to honour their God. So they, the Philistines have now got the Jewish Ark of the Covenant and they've put it in their temple to honour their God called Dragon, who was the fish god which represented fertility. And God caused the statue in the night to fall onto the ground in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So they put the Ark of the Covenant in the Philistine temple to honour their fish god, which is no god. And when they've gone in in the morning, the fish god's uh, monument has fallen down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And I tell you this, anything you try to raise up, you try to raise up above God, will come tumbling down. The next day, Dragon's statue again was on the floor with its face and its arms broken. 1 Samuel 5 verse 7, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and our God, Dragon. So the ark got moved to Gath because God caused the Philistines to grow tumours and the ark was moved to Ekron. But again, the Philistines grew tumours and died. So the Philistines didn't want the Ark of the Covenant. They've captured it, but now they don't want it. Now after some 20 years this is, it says, And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourself of your foreign gods, your asterisks, and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. There's a genuineness about repentance. A genuineness. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourself. So there's fruit from the decision. You know, Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But if serving God seems undesirable to you, then go worship the God beyond the Euphrates and uh, the gods of the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And he stuck to it. And sometimes we have to make powerful declarations followed by action. See, you can name it and claim it and frame it and declare it. Hoorah! Whoopie-doo! Aren't you fantastic? Where's the action? Faith without works is dead. It takes action. The problem is sometimes the actions that we've got to take are not comfortable. They're hard. We don't want to say some things. We don't want to hurt people. We don't want to be unpopular. 
We don't want to be rejected. We want to keep the status quo. It's better to be right with God and wrong with man. Amen? And if we love our families, if we love those around us, we will do our best to keep God first. And there's a book by Jamie Buckingham. It says, the truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable first. Huh? And it's so true, isn't it? The truth will set us free, but sometimes it makes us miserable. And Samuel had assembled all the Israelites at Mizpah and he'd interceded to God for them. And the Israelites fasted and they confessed their sins. And the Philistines attacked them. But Samuel did a burnt offering, which was probably the fat. And he did it properly. Amen? Samuel did a burnt offering and they confessed their sins. They confessed their sins to the Lord and the Lord thundered against the Philistines and the Israelites subdued the Philistines and the Philistines did not invade Israel's territory for the foreseeable future. Amen? 1 Samuel 7 verse 15. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah where his home was and there he also judged Israel. He judged in his own home. He said what needed to be said. He didn't judge every... See, in, in life today, we're so quick to judge everybody else. But we don't judge ourselves. We just want to judge everybody else. A healthy perspective is judge yourself first. I'm not worried about judging other people. It's not my, your business is your business, not my job to judge you. You get on, you do whatever. It's like, my business is to judge me. Keep my house in order. Amen? And what was wonderful about Samuel, he, he remained in that mentality and he even judged in his own town. And he built an altar to the Lord there. His parents, Elkanah, Hannah, came to Ramah, yet Samuel was willing to judge and serve even in his own town. Samuel displayed integrity. Now that's a tough word this afternoon. You know, it's not easy. It's not easy stuff, and I appreciate it. You know, it's not chicken feed. We're not having baby soup. We're eating meat. We're understanding the principles of the Word of God, the things that are important to Father. Encourage us to keep Father first. There's so many battles to have number one place in your life and on your phones. Such a battle. And it's hard sometimes to keep the Lord there because the pressures we get all around us, work, family, friends, finances, 
this, that, the other. And there's a continual battle going on. But we don't fight against flesh and blood. The Bible says we fight against powers and principalities. Amen? So I encourage you to take on board. Be the first place you need governance of God is over yourself, then your home. Amen? And if you can get that right, man alive, let God deal with the Philistines. You ain't got to go fighting no battles with the Philistines. Let God fight the battles with the Philistines. But sometimes we're more interested in fighting battles with the neighbours than what we are getting our own house in order. You know? It's better to get our own house in order. But that's a bit boring and it's hard work, so we'd rather go fight with the Philistines and do some other stuff instead. But if we can, if we can get to that place like Samuel and look at what Eli don't let us not make the mistakes of Eli. Let's love our families enough to speak up. Do you know, sometimes, like I said, we're quiet to keep the status quo. We don't want war. <laughs> but if you pray to God for the wisdom, say, Lord, take my mouth, take my tongue, take my heart, help me. It doesn't have to be a war. Let people see how much God means to you. Amen. Most people, there's a saying, most people, most children, before they fall in love with God, they fall in love with their Sunday school teacher. After they fall in love with their Sunday school teacher, they fall in love with their Sunday school teacher's God. Amen? I know for me as a little kid, I always remember seeing my dad in worship. Such a powerful image, made God very, very real to me, to see my dad humbling himself to God. Powerful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word in Jesus' name. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Father, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would have revelations. We don't have to become theologians, but to have a revelation, Lord God, to see your word become manifest in our lives. Lord, to, to, Lord rather than the fat of rams, you said you'd have obedience from your children, from your people. Father, I pray that we would be obedient. We would seek you first. We would put you first. And that, Father, the things we need to do, let us not be like Eli and just try and keep the peace. We're not called to be peacekeepers. That's the job of the UN. We're called to be peacemakers. Lord, help us in our parenting. Help us in our workplace. Help us in our families, Lord. Help us not to compromise you in any way, I pray.